The opinions expressed on two-way traffic are those of Darren Coleman and are for general information purposes only. It does not constitute any legally binding engagement between the podcasters and anyone else. Always check with your advisors to obtain your own tax or investment advice. Welcome to Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. In this series, Darren aims to guide you through the complexities, complications, implications, and most importantly, the advantages of having money and family on both sides of the border. On this episode, it's The Accidental American, as Darren welcomes Laura McClemon, certified professional accountant and founder of The Clever Firm. Hi, everyone. It's Darren Coleman, and welcome back to Two-Way Traffic, a cross-border podcast. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by my friend, Laura McClemon. Laura, hi. Welcome. Hi. Nice to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. We haven't seen each other since before COVID because we had COVID. Nobody could see anybody. And then you moved out of Canada, which we'll talk yes. about a little yep, bit. Yeah, absolutely. I got out of Dodge. <laughs> you got out of Dodge. So we'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But I think um, what I wanted you on the program today was to talk about cross-border tax because you're one of Canada's top cross-border tax experts, Canada, wow. U.S. Well, thank well you. you are. Mm-hmm. You didn't there know you that, go. but you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so why don't we just cover your background a little bit because you really are one of the queens of cross-border tax. I'm going to you know, call you out there as the lady that you are. And, uh, and so you made a specialty out of this. And I think we're, when we kind of talk about where you've come from in terms of a tax specialist to what you're doing now, I think is actually quite an interesting story. So would you mind giving us a little pricey of your, or a little CV of your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started in cross-border tax at EY in Vancouver as a wee young woman aspiring to be, you know, the global powerhouse that you described me to be. And uh, in 2002, started a practice focused exclusively on cross-border tax, uh, working with Canadians and Americans, Canadians going south, Americans living north, um, and did that for 20-odd years up to the culmination of when I sold my practice in 2021. And so you sold your practice and then you decided to leave Canada, which is a very interesting, we're actually having more people ask us about this idea of leaving Canada and, and we can talk about why that might make some sense because Canadians are taxed on residency. So it's possible to keep your Canadian citizenship and move to a lower tax jurisdiction. But where did you move to? Uh, so I moved to Andorra. In, which is not a um, fictional place in Star Trek, by the way. I mean, no, it is that, but it's also I, a real place. I've said this to you before, the... The boys always go to Star Trek. The girls always go to a, a prince always comes from Andorra in Hallmark movies. Very I true. hate to okay. be sexist, but it's very true how it works. Um, I actually moved to Andorra before um, selling the practice. Right. Um, I had developed the cross-border firm, uh, had offices in Vancouver in India, um, along with Ottawa. It was a passion for mine, of mine to get to Europe and travel Europe and experience Europe. Our kids had grown. Um, and so it was something that seemed right to do. Now, to be honest, the plan wasn't until 2022 to do that, but we moved it up to 2020 when COVID occurred. Absolutely love it. And it turns out to be a great time zone for my Indian team too less of a time change. So, well, cause you're right. You're in the Pyrenees mountains between Spain and France, right? So yes. it looks like a beautiful, yeah. beautiful country to, to, to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to describe it as, you know, it's kind of this, uh, whistler of the nineties. Uh, so it's still a ski town. There's definitely a, it's a low tax jurisdiction. Of course it's under 10% or 10% or under, uh, plus Interesting the that as a tax expert, tax. you picked a tax haven. Interesting idea. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Convenient. Um, it's actually, it's not a treaty country, so it's not perfect for everyone, but okay. I chose Andorra for, uh, the location and the beauty of it. It's one of the most safest countries in the world. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's a good eclectic mix of expats as well. So I want to come back to the expat 
conversation about how would somebody maybe exit Canada if they wanted to do that and and how they pick a jurisdiction. Um, but before we get to that stuff, I want to zero in mm-hmm. on the Canada-U.S. cross-border stuff and how you created that as an expertise. So when you were a more generalized accountant, how did you fall into the cross-border space? Was it a problem that you saw or did the company just say you're okay. going to move to this division or how did this happen? Because that was really early. You know, yeah, super early. Um, I didn't even have my Canadian CA at that point. So um, I quite enjoyed tax and uh, definitely, uh, you know, the big firm service lots of cross-border um, programs, we call it, where, you know, the Apples or the Googles are transferring people back and forth. And um, I quite enjoyed working with people that were, you know, exploring the world, I guess, young and vibrant Laura was like, wow, I can live vicariously through you. Um, And then as I worked more in that area, I started to realize that there's a lot more individuals doing this. And I started to understand the U.S. citizen living in Canada. And, you know, the largest population of U.S. citizens living outside of the U.S. is in Canada. Now, whether they're intentional U.S. citizens or accidental, uh, that's a different story, but um, uh, I saw it as an area of practice for sure. Um, and when I left EY and started my own practice in 2002, uh, continued to focus on the individual. I preferred it over the corporate. It just felt a lot more personal to me. And to be honest, young Laura thought it was very exotic at the time. I guess it still is. The luxury for me was my clients were everywhere in the world. So there was no need for me to have a physical office anywhere. Right. Yeah. Now that we have internet connections, you can kind of be wherever you want to be. Yeah. And even back in 2005, 2006, Darren, it was true. You know, yeah. we didn't, I didn't have this, uh, you know, it's very strange. I think about doing all the consultations I did and everything just on the phone. Right. And it, now it's very strange for me to do anything just on the phone. I think that's true. Having a phone call without a visual component feels like it's only half of the dialogue or it's only half of the conversation. Once I started doing video calls, maybe, I don't know, 2017 or so, I started to realize, you know, you can see the blank face and the panic when you start to explain the implications of moving cross-border with clients. Um, So, yeah, the video call, it changed everything. And so for me, with my clients all over the place, I was able to work from anywhere. So if anyone's interested in getting, uh, you know, leaving Canada or the U.S. and working abroad, obviously that's the first check the box. Well, that's right. And so part of what you what I want to touch on is that we often think about cross-border that someone's moved right? But it doesn't always have to be having this complexity because you moved. And you talked about the accidental American, right? So talk a little bit about how someone becomes an accidental American, if you don't mind. Right. Yeah. So the accidental Americans, I'm not sure who coined the phrase, certainly not me. I'm not taking any sort of trademark copyright on it. it. No. But okay, sure. (laughs) Um, But uh, these are people that uh, the U.S., taxes based on citizenship. It's one of the only two countries in the world. There's one other country looking at doing it. Estonia. I Estonia yeah. has it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if other countries start looking at it, but at the moment, well, there's just the it's, two. Yeah. So, which is interesting because Estonia is a, a desirable place for certain types of businesses already right. and nomads actually. So that's interesting. But um Uh, So the United States taxes citizens. And the thing is, uh, like many countries, people can inherit citizenship through their parents. Um, Accidental Americans in our in our industry are people who inherited their citizenship through parents, but never really registered or have enjoyed any benefits of being a U.S. citizen, never lived in the U.S., um, and there's a great deal of those people still, yeah. even, I mean, I remember the first voluntary disclosure uh, group of people, it was back in 2008. So that was the first, you know, where there was a big push in Canadian press about Americans having to file. And the IRS had a what was perceived as an attractive program back there, uh, back then. And it was actually, as it turns out, quite punitive for many people. It's one right. of those things where it doesn't really 
it doesn't always pay to be the first in. Let them modify the program a bit. Yeah, and they've since simplified it. Uh, for Americans living in Canada, if you're what we call a straightforward taxpayer, there's streamlined, there's a streamlined offshore uh, filing procedure that they can go through and get compliant with their tax obligations. So one of the things I didn't mention is if you are an accidental American, whether you're carrying a passport or have a social security number or not, you're still required to have filed tax returns. And it's surprising to me that even after this has been in the press, we still we still encounter people who didn't know they had a filing obligation. Like we've had yeah. people where they say they're Canadian and then when we ask them for their ID and they show us their passport, it says they were born in Michigan or something. I'm like, well, wait a yeah. minute, but you're American. They're like, no, no, no. I was born there, but we moved when I was two. So I'm not American. I'm yes. like, <laughs> sorry, you may not think so. Yes. But your obligations yeah. are that you have had to be filing tax returns for years. Yeah, there is that subset of people. And the other group of people are those people that have been carrying around green cards mm -hmm. uh, that they don't want to give up green cards, but they've been living in Canada holding a green card for the past eight to 10 years, say, um, as many even longer. Um, and I don't think they realize what comes with the pitfalls of carrying a green card. Now, technically, uh, they're not supposed to be carrying the green card right. for that long. Um, you'll have to talk to an immigration uh, attorney for that. But uh, provided you have a green card, uh, you're still required to file tax returns. So it's not just U.S. citizens that were born of parents who are U.S. citizens. It's not just those Canadians who happen to be born south of the border. It can be those who carry around these green cards as well. And it can even be people who stayed in the U.S. a little too long may wind yes, up having to pay, yes, right? Because along yes. with taxing on citizenship, there is a residency component if you wind up kind of overstaying, if you will, right? Absolutely. So the residency, I guess I look at and I say poo-poo because almost every country has that, right? right. Um, so Canada has the same idea. Um, almost every country taxes based on residency, which kind of makes sense. If you're going mm -hmm. to live there and you're going to enjoy yeah, the benefits of living there, you should pay taxes there. I would say half of my clients when I was practicing, 50% were Americans living in Canada, 50% were people moving, you know, crossing borders, Canadians living in the US, uh, Canadians living abroad. Now let's talk a bit about why you were doing the tax returns for both countries. Wouldn't it just be as easy for someone who knows they have, you know, a US and a Canadian tax filing obligation to say, look, I'll get my tax person in Canada, I'll get my tax person in the US and each one of them can do my tax return for each country and I'm not going to worry about it. Like, wouldn't that be yeah. the easiest solution for somebody? Uh, no. We both know it's a horror <laughs> show. So do I that, mean, yeah, yeah. Thanks for teeing that up. But yeah. uh, as, as simple as it sounds, and listen, I get the point. Like, I, we might be, sometimes we're working with people that have um, a relationship. They have an existing relationship yeah. with an accountant in Canada. Uh, they're moving to the U.S. and their accountants, you know, they trust their accountant. When we deal, as you know, when you're dealing in finances or tax, it, there's a trust relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that it's difficult to give up one or the other as a, a, as a relationship, Americans moving to Canada or vice versa. Um, but the reality is, I, you know, I used to, when, again, I was young and naive, say, oh, yeah, I can work with your Canadian accountants and manage the U.S. return. But honestly, uh, that quickly rectified itself when the Canadian accountant would call me and say, listen, I think you should do everything. Or right. vice versa, the U.S. accountant. You know, if you've got a good accountant, they realize that things make a lot more sense if you're working on both returns at the same time. And that's a, you know, it's more expensive. It totally is more expensive to have a cross-border dually trained uh, accountant. What we've found with our clients that have, you know, moved from the US to Canada, for example, or vice versa. And if they've had a person in each country, by the time they put those together, it's more expensive than having the cross-border practitioner. That's what we or, find, like they're paying double, right? Yeah, or you talk about, uh, I mean, double. And the mistakes. It, it, it can be for sure. And then you have the mistakes or the implications of not going right. to the right person. So the other part is trying to avoid uh, a qualified 
cross-border team because you feel they're too pricey. But then often those people come back and they pay a lot more to fix things. To fix, yeah, yeah. And they're also paying penalties or unnecessary taxes because of the lack of planning. I wouldn't dabble in Canadian corporate tax for the same reason that I don't think some Canadian uh, practitioners should be dabbling in exit tax or expatriate tax or vice versa, U.S. corporate tax, U.S. expatriate tax. Yeah, and one thing that we see from our perspective, like when we manage the assets in both countries and we and the tax stuff for us is really critical from a planning perspective, we get this right. We see yeah. most people when they think about taxes, just think about what return do I need to file this year and what's my tax obligation mm-hmm. and things. But we also see from a planning perspective, you can easily create the seeds of other problems by doing mm-hmm. the wrong things. And one easy example is when we have, you know, when someone's married, when a Canadian is married in American and not realize that, for example, the way they own their home in Canada could be a problem because the Canadian, if they ever saw the home, there's no tax at the moment. Mm-hmm. Anyway, knock on wood on a principal residence, but for the American, yeah. they don't have that same exemption for the U S mm-hmm. side. And yep, so absolutely. if no one ever told them just how you own your house, Yes. And a regular tax uh, person wouldn't normally even get into that dialogue with them, right? So another classic example is, you know, Canadians moving south, they avoid the what we call it as an exit consultation. Mm-hmm. So we've got Canadians, just regular people, for example, um, I don't know, an executive with an RESP with for his kids, TFSAs, right. maybe uh, a, a non-registered taxable account. And then RSPs, and they're moving uh, south. They're taking a job in Texas or something. Yeah, Texas would be great for them from a tax perspective. But even if they move to California, Mm -hmm. right? There's more complex New York State, California. There's some really complex um, states. It's not only U.S. federal tax; it's state tax planning. Yeah, and that, by the way, is something I don't think most Canadians are aware of. Is that because I think in Canada the provinces are not too necessarily different one to another on what they'll tax on. And we just file integrated tax returns. But in the States, each state can have a completely different tax regime one to another on top of the federal regime. And so knowing what your obligation is from Florida to Michigan to California, way more complexity. Yeah. I mean, when I talk to people and I, I hate coming back to fees, but you know, to be honest, if you're not paying more to your cross border accountants, then you would, as you mentioned, putting the two together, right. then you're probably not with the right people. That, I know that sounds yeah, horrible. Yeah, no, that's a very fair. bold statement, and I might take blowback for it. But the reality is we have to know not only Canadian tax, we have to know U.S. T- federal tax, but then we have 40 states that we also yeah. have to be aware of. Now, there's the common states where people move to, but... And there's and then there's the gap in between, right? Which is, yes. you've got, what is Canada? What's the US? All the states. And then what's the gap in the middle, which is the treaty? Well, absolutely. Right? And So I think it's way more complicated. Totally. And uh, the cost of someone moving to California without the proper plan, or the cost of someone moving to New York State, or uh, even Florida, or Texas, mm-hmm. without the proper plan in place just to exit Canada but also entering the US. There's not just a uh, compliance cost, a cost to pay us, but it's also the cost of carrying, as you know, something simple, mutual funds in a tax-free right. savings account, or right. not understanding that California taxes are RSP income. Right. If you talk to a California-based practitioner, they're not going to off the cuff know that. You know, I really do believe in that holistic, uh, I hate that word, but that global plan where you have a professional. Well, that and that leads into the next area, which is the new initiative you're running, because as we just were getting into uh, is the complexity that people have when they have that tax filing a reality, that tax reality in both countries is it's not just, okay, what was my income for my employer income for my business? It also touches into, well, what have I accumulated in my savings and what vehicles am I using and what's the rules for each country? Mm -hmm. And some of them are tax, some of them are compliance and investment related. 
We also yeah. get into estate planning of, well, where's your beneficiary and are you setting up a trust and what works in Canada, what doesn't? I was just in an article today in Wealth Professional where they asked me about insurance, whether it's health mm -hmm. insurance or life and disability insurance. So we can I'll put yeah. the link somewhere on this to the article yeah. that I was just in about this. Um, but so this becomes a very multifaceted, or as my friend from Newfoundland says, very tangly. <laughs> I love that word. Great word. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so because you uh, exited your primary practice, Mm -hmm. you saw a need to somehow provide, well, walk me through the clever front. Tell us a little bit yes. about that. Cause that brings us yeah. all together, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what I was saying before with the need with a global plan, uh, to be honest, you know, I practice tax and advise clients moving south of the border or vice versa um, for years. Um, and I'm a big believer in, I can identify problems, but I should have solutions. I don't yeah. like identifying problems without solutions. So that's a little bit towards me. I have friends so if you're like ever going to come to me, don't tell me I have a problem unless you're going to tell me how to fix it. Right. So, <laughs> but it was very difficult to talk to Canadians, for example, moving south and saying, you know what? Your investment advisor can't manage your investment account from the U.S. Technically, there's regulations that the you know Canadian Securities Commission regulations, whatever yeah. it is, I don't know, um, where a financial advisor cannot advise. I don't know why I'm saying this to you. You obviously know this, but I would say this to people, which is if I can imagine how disconcerting it was for me to say that to them, you know, especially you know, it doesn't matter how many assets to say you can't use Uncle Joe anymore, right? You know. Uncle Joe, and then I started to change that conversation where Uncle Joe's going to come to you and say, that's okay, I'll just use your parents' address. and Yeah, I'll fudge an address, I'll use your sister-in-law or yeah. parent. Yeah, and that works for a bit, and then it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and I, I realize that's the comfort zone because I can't imagine moving to a brand new place, finding a house, putting kids in school, and also having to find an advisor. So, you know, it was back in 2016, 2017, we were at a conference. In fact, it was, that's where I met you. Mm -hmm. And I went to a cross-border professional conference at the time. And what a relief because I met cross-border attorneys, immigration attorneys, cross-border financial professionals. I mean, it was at that time that Raymond James was really building up the cross-border. Yeah, we kind of started moving it here, right? And that's where I think we realize there's fellow travelers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so what a relief. So suddenly my advisory calls just leveled up. Um, I felt better about advising clients. Clients felt better because as we built trust with them on advising them from tax, we also had preferred professionals that we could uh, refer the clients to. You start talking to them about estates and wills and the importance to do something there, or you're talking to an American holding a Canadian property for rental purposes. Mm -hmm. When you identify the fact that they should consider doing something different in their will, having a Canadian will or an integrated will, um, suddenly when you have a few names to give to them, right. suddenly you look like you've got a team and you do have a team. So it leveled up my practice. It leveled up the service and the value that we could provide to our clients. So for me, that was invaluable. Okay. So the number of contacts you had, what did you do with mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. So when I decided to sell the firm and exit the practice, uh, you know, it was something I was super passionate about. I've always been um, a connector of people, putting people together, whether it's clients or professionals. Uh, so I decided to create the Clever Firm, which is basically uh, formalizing a network of cross-border professionals through the Clever uh, Professional Network. Um, so it's bringing together financial advisors, uh, cross-border tax lawyers, cross-border lawyers, immigration attorneys, and of course, tax advisors. Um, and we have events, we collaborate, we've had discussions, we've had talks about, um, you know, we have, speaking of global planning, we have someone talking about having a global estate plan, what happens when you designate executors cross borders, things like that. Um, and it's for small practitioners. So yes, there are the big firms providing these individual cross-border tax advisory uh, services, 
but there are a lot of very talented cross-border professionals with small practices. It's difficult to operate like that because you don't have the person down the hall to talk to. Um, You have to uh, develop a network. So I'm hoping to, you know, bring that to those people and bring them in. And, you know, financial advisors have been, it's been great. There's been a lot of financial advisors getting involved because I'm sure you know when you sit down with a client, you might be the first person they come to you and say, hey, Darren, we're moving to Texas. And, you know, for you to say, well, you're going to need tax advice, to not give them someone to talk to, for me, I don't like to do that. Like, good luck. Go find someone. Search on this. Google it, right? Well, so- what's interesting now is what we tend to find as people are finding us is they've made the move and then mm-hmm. they've discovered, oh, my gosh, I'm in quicksand. I don't know what to do. And my existing yeah. providers don't know. And then they Google around. They find us. Realize yeah. we've been doing this for more than a decade. We've got a pretty good amount of expertise. And we're connected. We kind of know what how yeah. tangled up it gets right and i really like the idea that you've you've begun creating more formal structures if you will so that we know who to find like we've already got a really good network but a lot of them mm-hmm. are are yes some are embedded inside large accounting firms and law firms but also many are boutique specialists yeah. and you know and a lot of them came out of big firms and just kind of finding everybody is yeah. a neat experience and, and i keep tripping over people that are great specialists i mean how do we not know each other before yeah, so, and it's, so your idea it's, is to bring them together, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, getting together for beers is totally fun, too. But it also allows you to develop that relationship because I'm not going to say I was the perfect advisor for every single person that came into your office. Right. It's personality fits. So Chemistry the more matters. people you know. Yeah, yeah. So it does give you the opportunity to start to understand how people operate, uh, you know, there are gray areas um, in tax. There are gray areas maybe in your financial advisory and how people approach things. So it's always good to know who is doing what. Um, and that's, we're already starting to see that with the Clever Network. Like with the Clever Professional Network, we're already starting to see where um, individuals are melding and, and making connections, uh, which is awesome because we're three months in. So. Yeah, so it's fairly new. But I, my understanding from what I've watched already is that it's not just about providing a networking. There's an education component, right? There's a way of sharing knowledge that different specialists have to make sure other people in the network benefit from it. So how are you enabling that that information share? So, yeah, absolutely. So really what's happened is as we have individuals join the network, we're asking them, what would you like to hear more about? If we're going to offer you something, what are you most interested in? And we started there and we started with, you know, uh, uh, I work from my network or the network of my network to find the right person. So, for example, we're d- we did a presentation on foreign tax credits presentation. I call them clever chats because they're really informal methods of sharing our knowledge. Um, I call it leveraging, uh, leveraging our knowledge. Um, it's drawing from other people's experiences uh, to discover what to do in a situation. On the foreign tax credit chat, we had someone from Deloitte. We had someone from a mid, uh, small firm in Calgary. And we had um, Audit Shield professional. That, so it's an insurance clients can buy. So it was super informative for, for the team or for the membership to hear how different people deal with CRA with respect to foreign tax credit reviews. Um, we also have formal education. So our conference where we met uh, in a different iteration of this, our conference will be in February, February 5th and 6th. That will be a more technical conference. So that will right. be more, you know, um, uh, fixing client errors. Uh, what other things do we have there? Disregarded entities, uh, cross-border financial planning, the practical, the, the practicalities of cross-border banking. And so it's something for not just financial advisors, but also accounts to be a part of it. Because it's, it's one thing for me to say, yeah, go buy a house in California. And they call me and say, I can't get a mortgage. Right. How do I get we can a help. Mortgage? Well, actually, we just had someone on our podcast that specializes in helping. Uh, they're based in Florida and they're non, they help non-U.S. nationals get 
uh, mortgages in the United States. So I'll connect you with Freddie. Um, But I think the key part of the the Clevel firm is it's practitioner to practitioner. It's not amateurs. It's not like you really have to know your stuff to be able to even, everyone has to speak Vulcan basically. Yes. Everybody has to speak Vulcan, but you don't have to be the expert. So you can be just an eavesdropper or a listener. And um, I think that's the thing, you know, there's definitely, because we're building it on my network, there's definitely uh, those people involved who are wise beyond their years. Mm, <laughs> we wise now. Yeah. But, you know, there is absolutely places. What we find is practitioners that I've worked with for 20 years are now bringing in their team members to right. learn and share. But absolutely, it's not it's not a situation where it's client practitioner. It's not a place right. for people to come for advice, but it's definitely a safe space. I know you'll love that term. <laughs> it's a well, safe it's, place. it's an area where practitioners can all benefit from each other's unique knowledge and expertise. So everybody can get better at the professional expertise they have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, we do polls, we do things like this, and it's amazing how many practitioners will treat, like I said, these gray areas, we've got the broad scope of what practitioners are doing. And in many cases, uh, some practitioners might be doing something like overkilling it. And then when they start mm-hmm. talking to everyone, they can relax. I mean, I was a prime example back in 2018. I was at a conference and I was still filing these forms uh, that didn't need to be filed. It, you know, it wasn't a problem and it wasn't a costly thing for my clients, but it was... It was definitely an area where um, uh, I wouldn't have known as a small practitioner that other people weren't doing it. I'm not a big fan of just because other people are doing it means you should too. But in that case, it was useful. Well, there's this information show that happens when all the experts, the known experts are in a room. Like I remember at one of the conferences that we attended, there was a moment. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm an advisor. I'm not a tax thing. And that was mostly mm-hmm. tax people in the room. So I was a more of a yeah. spectator on that one. But there was a, a lot of what happens in taxes about interpretation, right? So the government will create a new rule or policy. And then it's, how do we interpret it? How do we do it? And yeah. I remember there was, it doesn't matter what the point was, but there was a point that came up where there was a little bit of contention in the room amongst the tax professionals about how do we really do this? And I remember one of the tax people said, we should probably figure it out because one of our clients is going to be the tax test case. And one of us is going to be the expert that's called upon yeah. to kind of explain to the government about this. So it was interesting yeah. to be there as not that you guys are creating policy, but it was like, if we all decide this, that's probably the way the ball's going to bounce. Definitely. There's lots of healthy discussion. There's lots of, um, uh, you know, interpretation happening. You look at the new legislation our government's put out just in the past year, year and a half, even, um, provincial governments putting out these real estate taxes, the foreign yep. buyers tax, the UHT, the underused housing tax. So these things are where tax professionals, it's pushed to us to be reviewing what CRA is coming out and interpreting it for our clients. And, you know, CPA Canada and largely CPAs who have been involved, they were responsible for talking some sense into uh, some of the legislation or to some of the legislators you know, it's best of intentions, but when you're dealing with these new taxes, uh, it can go either way. And the best people, the people best positioned to find the problems in the interpretation are the tax accountants. Right. It's often, we often discover it when we're trying to implement it in practice. So Mm -hmm. it's very much in the financial advisory world too. For example, Raymond James, obviously, they can handle people's IRAs. They can do, yep. or you can do an IRA role to an RRSP in certain cases. Yep. It's one thing to say we can do it. It's another thing to say I have done it and I know how to do it. That's right? true. Right? As an example, I'm not saying you don't know, but we worked with a client that um, was had an advisor of a walk-in branch at a, one of the big banks who had a brilliant idea for him to transfer a $700,000 401k over to an RSP. Yeah. It was a disaster. Yeah. He didn't call his tax accountant, me. Um, yeah. And it was a full disaster. And it's fine to say we can do it. But individuals who focus on this, they know where the pitfalls are. They know not yeah. to promise anything until they, unless they've done it before. 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because there was a, a thing, a, an article popped up on um, advisor.ca, which is a Canadian yep. uh, news site for advisors. And it, the, the guy who wrote it posted it on LinkedIn. That's how I happened to see it. I'm also on the editorial advisor board for advisor.ca, but we didn't have a mm-hmm. meeting this month. Um, and it was from the director of tax for one of the major insurance companies of King Canada. So this is a person who's advising advisors. And yeah. his article was about as a, if a Canadian is inheriting an IRA. So an IRA is a, as you know, yeah. for the listener, yeah. is basically a, a U.S. version of an RSP. So somebody right. in the U.S. has passed away. They've left as a beneficiary a Canadian. And he was saying, well, as a Canadian, you're going to receive it and it's going to be fully taxable. But there is a way to move it to your RSP. Mm. And I read that. I'm like, so this person is telling advisors a strategy that, while theoretically possible, is terrible. Because he doesn't well, have the capacity in his firm to do what we can do, which is to give the Canadian an inherited IRA and have 10 years of tax deferral. So we have absolutely. access to a strategy that would be a much better solution. And unfortunately, we see this a lot where people only have access to this toolbox, so they don't know what other tools might be available. And that comes absolutely. back to why having a cross-border tax, estate, immigration, having these people work as a team together, make sure that all the available tools to me are available and you get to examine them all properly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about using the qualified professionals, you know, it's when people are aware that there are issues, um, it's so much easier. So again, pushing the, you should work with a cross-border professional, someone who specializes in this because it's a big difference. It makes a big difference. Uh, You know, when I'm advising Canadian residents, who are also Americans, to um, that mutual funds aren't the best investment for them mm-hmm. outside of their RSP. In some cases, it can be, um, or it's their only option. But when you do that and you're dealing with an advisor who has never seen this and never worked with Americans before, right. it's a very challenging situation. But when you're working with an advisor who understands that, it's a much better result. Bringing the right team together, if you are a, a client and having a working team is, it's golden because you have way less stress and way less missteps, I would say. Well, one of the other benefits I find in having that established, like we've established that as you did over time, you kind of establish mm-hmm. your network, but being able to use the Clever Firm, for example, to meet new people is there's a certain, and I don't know if people think about how important this is. We know it's important. You know, it's important. This idea of vetting who else is in the network because the yes. client can't tell us apart, right? So if somebody yes. says I'm a cross-border tax, I'm a cross-border. How do you know as the client, if they really are what they say they are? You don't know, but the trick is all the other professionals know who really is in it and who's maybe an amateur, right? So there's a certain benefit of being in the network. You kind of need to be validated a little bit because like we know who to go to. We know who to stay away from. Yes, it's true. There's a bit of that. It's true. Well, and honestly, even if we're not talking about qualifications or skill sets, even as I mentioned before, personalities. Yeah, style. Right? Yeah, very, very true. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, what we're trying to promote is, like I said, the safe space. So what's amazing is we do have practitioners, you know, I've approached practitioners, I've had conversations with members who join and say, well, I'll say, what would you be comfortable presenting on? What type of clients are you still, you know, and there's um, most valid practitioners, most honest and decent practitioners will be honest about what they can do and what they can't do. Sure. So even in the cross-border tax world, not everybody's made equally. Mm -hmm. I very rarely advise business owners, uh, uh, American citizens living in Canada owning businesses. I didn't do it. My partner did, but I wouldn't do it. Um, And in our network, that's where it's easy to, for people to identify themselves as their areas of special specialization or specialty. You know, there's so much value to it. And, and you're right, it, it kind of has even more compounding value to clients uh, when you have a team built around it. Yeah, because we know when someone needs another account or lawyer, we know who the right fit's likely to be. 
Mm-hmm. And we often, and the other benefit is you kind of wind up working with the same group of professionals. So you have a dialogue, you have an information flow, you kind of yeah. know what they're going to do, what they're going to say. So it just creates an efficiency, I think, that the client benefits from. So Absolutely. Like yeah. at tax time or at, you know, one of my favorite examples was um, working with you guys, one of our clients that came up to... Um, Canada, we worked on getting the new cost basis recognized mm-hmm. for tax purposes so that your tax reporting accurate. was accurate. And yeah. it, it saves the clients thousands of dollars, honestly, and I'm not at, exaggerating, uh, what, versus the accountant having to fabricate or not fabricate, create those numbers yeah. uh, every year or modify your reporting because your reporting is basically... Uh, inaccurate. It's accurate from a, you know, an advisory perspective in terms of whether they have a gain or loss, but from a tax perspective, it's not right. So when you have those two people working together, no. And and we get that a lot where the financial institutions of different countries may not provide a fulsome set of reports for either country or the manual component of having to take what those like what day did you move okay we got to get the market value on that day put it in so there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes that until clients have gone through it they don't really realize how important it is it's like when you go to the car dealership if they walk you under the car and show you you oh now i get why this is the Mm -hmm. way it is yeah Um, but if you're just sitting in the waiting room you don't know um okay i want to change gears a little bit and talk about the idea of moving out of canada and and starting Mm -hmm. a new life for even a portion of time and and changing your tax reality is this something that you particularly jumped on because you're a tax expert you're more sensitive to it and there's a lifestyle one or do you think more people are going to be saying maybe this is an option for me like is this a trend or you think you're somewhat unique in doing it uh, i don't, maybe you don't i don't know how to answer that but i i do know that um i probably was more comfortable doing it and more aware of the benefits uh and more comfortable with the benefits of doing it from a tax perspective what right. i underestimated and honestly i wish i'd done it a lot earlier a lot earlier thank you okay. uh because i learned a lot about what my clients are going through so mm. i mean the thing is, I was prepared. You know, I know moving, like in my world, we know relocation companies. We yeah. know, uh, you know, insurance advisors. We we know what to look at, uh, financial advisory, everything. It was uh, a big challenge. So, I mean, I guess it's one of those things. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, I think. But um, it was a real challenge. And I can now appreciate when I would sit down with a client and say, well, you should have talked to me in July when you were moving, you know, that's, that's really tough. So what I would say is if someone's looking at moving, I mean, it's gotta be more concrete than not. Mm -hmm. I would say they should sit down and they should talk to you, to their advisors and talk about the implications, get that out of the way. Just, it, it doesn't have to be a plan. You just have to understand the implications because by the time you're moving, you're packing, you're selling, you're doing whatever. Um, really, you don't want to talk to someone who's talking about a deemed disposition of all your assets and, you know, crystallizing maybe your investments inside your RSP because you're going to California. You're thinking, what does it's not taxable. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what matter. box I pack my dishes in mm-hmm. and what school my kids are going to yes, go to. That's but, far yeah. more important. Yeah. yeah. And I would say we moved, uh, I mean, my son was with me, but he was uh, studying online. We moved and we didn't have small children to try to integrate. And right. like, that's even more of a Harder. challenge. So I don't think it's a trend. I think people will start to pursue this as remote work becomes more and more uh, um, common. Yeah. Lots so of companies too. out there, lots of companies building models around people uh, like me or employees who want to work abroad, but their employers maybe don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Lots of companies like uh, Remote, for example, that that they enable uh, your employee to work abroad and they deal, they become sort of employer of record or take care of their consulting contracts, things like that. So I do think it's going to have a certain uptick because as the tax becomes more complicated for employers globally, 
there are companies coming out to solve all of that. Yeah. So this is what I see too, is there's this, if you want to go and work in another country or live in another country, um, whether you're still working or you're retiring, it's becoming easier to do that. There's more services, there's more people, yeah. there's more people like you that have done it already. So you know what yes. the pitfalls are and yeah, mm -hmm. academically you do these things, but then, you know, you got to find someone who'll move your stuff. Um, yeah. Fortunately, one of the biggest relocation companies is, uh, that does that is our client. I talked to him once about, you yeah. know, could you help a client move? He's like, I do the U.S. military. I think I can handle their. Dynamics. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's so ha it. But having That's those it. connections and knowing how to do it. So I think you're it's interesting because you had clients mm -hmm. for a long time that were doing this. Then you've now done it. Gives you even more insight yeah. into it. Um, and I think that trend's going to keep accelerating. That's what we see. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion and, you know, whether you're wealthy or not, I'm not going to have the wealth tax, a billionaire's tax, whatever sure. conversation. But the international tax folks that comment on these things that plan for high net worth professionals, uh, there's, there's a specific thing that they, I absolutely agree with now, which is, um, you know, having a, a plan B citizenship right. or residency, which is, I think, is a good move for many people, not just the ultra high net worth or not just the high net worth. It can be plan B for because you want to try something out, you know, and yeah. there's countries all over the world. We mentioned Estonia. There's countries that are offering all of these digital nomad visas. Yeah. For you can work for a year in reason. somewhere. Yeah. You yeah. can try it out. You can, uh, see if that's where you want to lay your roots. There's lots of people, as you know, that travel and they mm -hmm. say, I'd really love to live here. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I would say try it out before you do that. But um, obviously, I I'm a really big believer in that dual citizenship and having options. And the further argument on that was when everybody starts to pursue that, then countries have to compete for tax right. dollars. Right. Or they'll, they'll legislate ridiculous law. They'll create ridiculous laws that will allow them their tax dollars anyway. But I think if you add competition into where people can live, um, it might benefit everyone. I don't know. Well, it's, I think competition is good across the board for labor, for capital. So it tends to lead yeah. to, it can be disruptive in the short term, but it tends to lead to better outcomes. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I did it. I would not hesitate to do it again. Okay. Um, and uh, it's been a great experience. It's not for everyone. You know, uh, one of the things I used to say to clients, another little Laura's opinion, but I used to say it to clients is, it sounds really good that you've got this new position in Texas and you're really excited. Um, but I, I couldn't believe the number of clients that go all in, they sell their house, they buy yeah. a house, they, you know, they're fully committed, which I think is important to do, yep. but I think it's also important to try it out before because I've counseled, I've done a lot of exit, um, counseling in year one and re-entry counseling in year two or year three. It's funny um, you mention that because when we get people that are moving, we let them know that when we build our investment portfolios and our plans and everything, I tell them that portability is a mm -hmm. really important part of what we build. Like we'll build it so it can go in both directions. And they're yes. like, why? I'm only moving one way. I'm like, but what if you go back? Like I, ha I don't want to yeah. only do it. A one it's not a one-way street. So yes. if I build it only go one way and then it doesn't work if you choose to go back, that's not a good answer. So we try to yeah. build it so... I don't care where you live. We'll make sure the plan can follow you. And it's yeah. interesting how many times we told somebody that and that they're looking at me like, why does that matter? Three years later, they're like, you know what? We're going back. We're family changed or the job Absolutely. changed or something. And people tend to and, move not just once. And I'm not recommending straddling the border that over. Right. It makes it very complex, but be, you know, be prepared to have that plan B. So maybe yeah. don't sell your house in that first year until you know whether your kids and your spouse and your, that they are happy there, you know, that the job is what you thought it was, uh, you know, there's ways we can plan around it. And that's where planning comes in. You can, um, you know, in your head be straddling, but we'll make sure that CRA doesn't follow you wherever Yeah, legally you you're doing it the right way. Yeah. But that, but it, that applies right. too to like, we had a client years ago that bought a cottage. We helped them save for cottage. It was a goal that they had. They bought mm -hmm. the cottage two summers later, like we're selling the cottage, Darren. I'm like, 
we work so hard to get it. What they're like, yeah, yeah. we're not cottagers. I'm like, what yeah. do you mean you're not cottagers? <laughs> yeah. And they said, well, you know, when we had friends with cottages, that's mm-hmm. different than owning a cottage. <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes. So yes, like having it, it 52 weeks a year is not the same thing as going up for three or four weeks at a time. So um, they decided no friends with Perfect cottages example. is better. So a little tip for everybody out there, friends with cottages. Friends with cottages. It's a good one. Well, listen, thank you for your time today. Lovely to reconnect. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that we know, we've known you in your, in your firm for years. And I'm glad that in your new iteration of what you're doing, you're continuing to add value to, you know, the professionals in this space. So good for you for doing it because you could have retired, but you, you would have gotten bored. Um, so thanks for doing something fun. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I retired for two months. It, <laughs> I was bored. You know, so that you whole go. try it out before you do it. You're, yeah. There you go. You're also proof of that too, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Well, thank you. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you for your time today, Laura. Great to reconnect. Thanks, and for Darren. those of you who be watching, um, thanks for taking the time to be part of this conversation and we have more coming. So we'll try to untangle it. Thank you, Laura. Thanks. This has been Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. Thanks for watching and listening. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for new episodes, send us an email at twowaypodcast at gmail.com. And you can find the Two-Way Traffic Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. This series is a production of the Acme Podcasting Company. On behalf of the Two-Way Traffic Podcast and Portage Wealth of Raymond James, Thank you for listening to this conversation. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Darren Coleman and his guests and are not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources Raymond James believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal, accounting, and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions or issues in these areas, please consult your legal tax and or accounting advisor. Raymond James Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James USA Limited is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Raymond James Limited and Raymond James USA Limited Financial Advisors may only transact businesses in provinces and or states where they're registered.